So we are in this series, Good News in the Old Testament. The Good News in the Old Testament. Um, I'm Joshua, you guys know me, I'm one of the staff here. Um, at Denton North, we've been trying to talk about and live as apprentices of Jesus, to follow his lead, to let him be our rabbi, to want to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. I'm going to start my timer here. We want to be apprentices of Jesus, to live like him, follow his lead, uh, want to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. So there's so many aspects to this, and uh, that's why it'll be a slow-going thing, and that's okay. One of these, these things, one of these aspects of following Jesus and letting him be our rabbi is a love of Scripture. Jesus loved Scripture, and he had a great knowledge of it. He quotes it often. He references it a lot. He has a high regard for it. He doesn't exactly straight up challenge it, but he often challenges people's interpretation of it, something he did frequently. And other times he says he's really not here to abolish it at all. He's here to fulfill it, and that not even a small part of it will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. Those are things Jesus says about Scripture, and there's more than that. But as apprentices of Jesus, we need to do our best to follow his lead in knowing Scripture, valuing it, being students of it, viewing it as a way to both follow Jesus' guide, the template he set for us, but also just to know the Father. That's another really important aspect, um, the way that Jesus used Scripture. And so that led us to this idea of trying to help us all spend some time in the Old Testament, or, you know, that's the Bible, that, that's the Scripture that Jesus is pulling from, that's the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it may sound insane, but we're essentially going to be skipping around in the Old Testament, honing in on different stories that fit under that banner of the good news in the Old Testament. So if you thought the Old Testament was confusing or difficult, wait until you hear it out of order. Um, just kidding. I mean, it is going to be a little bit of a ride, but uh, we think it'll be good. You're going to get to hear from different leaders within our church here, which is always a treat, and some folks from our family of churches, from around our family of churches. So uh, I'm always looking forward to that. Leslie and I both look forward to getting to hear from them, and I know you guys do too. And I'm really excited because, honestly, I've come to love the Old Testament. That was not at all the case for me for a long time, but I've come to love the Old Testament. It's not a cakewalk to engage with. It takes effort, but it's super interesting, and I would say it's very rewarding if you're willing to put some time into it. And I think it can really enrich your understanding and your relationship with God, especially if you're a fan of the New Testament, the kind of the newer stuff, you know. The Old Testament is super important as a foundation on which to build our understanding of the New Testament. It's the stories, it's the ups and downs of history, it's the cultural background of the people group that Jesus was born into and was preaching to in that moment in his initial ministry there. The New Testament is seriously deepened by understanding it against the backdrop of the Old Testament. Together, both halves of the Bible are part of the bigger... Oh, Siri found this on the web, by the way, guys. Um... Uh, don't you love when Siri does that? Um, right when you need it. Together, both halves of the Bible um, are part of one whole big story about God's relationship with humanity. So it's really important. So a couple of reminders I thought of just as we're spending time in the, in the Old Testament. There's a lot more here, but these are two things that I wanted to mention. Um, I want to remind you to zoom out frequently while you're reading the Old Testament. Remind yourself where you are in the context of this larger story, this larger narrative. That really matters, and it really helps quite a bit. It can be really easy to get lost in a story or had to have a lot of questions, and that's all good and okay. Um, but don't forget to remind yourself where you are in this larger story arc of God's interaction with humanity. And then also I want to say lean into things that seem odd and explore them. Let curiosity be motivating instead of discouraging. 
that's the kind of thing that's great to kind of just explore in your open-ended time with God during the week. Yeah. And not be in a hurry, not be in a rush. Uh, let yourself explore the things that, that um, hang you up a little bit and make you wonder about some cultural thing that you don't know about or whatever it is. Follow your curiosity further into Scripture is what I'd say. So let's get into this good old Testament. Uh, you guys ready? Um, we are going to be hanging out in the later half of Exodus, um, kind of the part that most movies and, and stuff like don't go into, you know, they end um, at a convenient place. So, uh, but we're not, we're not going to read the entire second half of Exodus, don't worry. But basically, if you want to be kind of in the area on your phone, um, in the Bible, um, whatever you have with you, it's in chapters 19 through 34 is where I'll be referencing, but I'll try to tell you where I'm at so you have time to, to flip around. Uh, but don't worry, we're not going to just straight up read all of that. In fact, a good number of those chapters are uh, chapters about laws and instructions and designs for the tabernacle. So the actual narrative part is not quite as long, um, definitely not nearly as long as the first half of Exodus. But um, there's, it's a large chunk that we're trying to bite off today. I realize that. It's not as neat and modular of a story as some. So we're going to stay heavy in the story part for a while, if you're willing. And then I'm going to share takeaways at the end. So I'm not going to do just tons of commentary, if that makes sense. Um, so if you're a note-taking kind of person, you can take some notes, but the takeaways, the easy to kind of jot down stuff is at the end. Um, and if you haven't heard the Exodus story or read it, here's a brief catch-up. So why are the Israelites even in Egypt in the first place? You know, they're the Israelites, but they're not in Israel. Um, it's been a number of generations at this point, but God made a covenant with Abraham that he would make him into a nation, give him many offspring, and that he'd be a blessing to other nations, that Israel would be a blessing to other nations. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a bunch of sons, and everything almost went very wrong because a famine was coming, except that God saved the whole family through one of Jacob's sons, who they had rejected and sold into slavery to Egypt. So that is how they end up in Egypt. God brought them there to save them, to, to have them be well-fed and survive the famine. That's kind of crazy, huh? That's like a crunch down of a lot of stuff, but that story is crazy. You should definitely check it out if you've not read it. So generations go by, and the family gets a lot bigger, and the new pharaoh, the current pharaoh, is worried about how numerous they are. They're not just a small kind of group uh, or family hanging out in their uh, area anymore, in his kingdom anymore. Um, he's worried about how big they're getting, and he doesn't fear God, doesn't remember the good relationship that they had uh, together before um, the, him and, and uh, the Israelites. So he enslaves them, and now they're stuck in Egypt in a really tough situation. So God raises up Moses. I'm sure he's a name that you've heard many times. And works with him to challenge the power of Pharaoh, um, the beliefs of their system there, and leads the people out of Egypt. There's crazy plagues, there's a high-speed chase, there's a parting of a sea. You've heard that stuff, it's crazy, we're not going to talk about that stuff today. <laughs> um, but uh, it leaves it wide open for somebody else to take that part and just preach about that. So if you want to do that, then uh, I'm leaving that open for you. We're going to hang out in the part after the movies end, after the credits roll, after the sea has already been parted, after the, you know, the main crux of the story arc finishes and um, the last songs are sung or whatever. So the Israelites at this point, in chapter 19, they've been in the wilderness for about three months or so, uh, and they've been complaining to Moses and the other leaders about wandering in the desert. Not the happy ending that we necessarily thought. 
They've made very extreme statements like, you've led us in the wilderness to die. <laughs> uh, and even though we were slaves in Egypt, at least we had food, water, and shelter, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, the people were also fighting amongst themselves a lot, like just bickering and conflict and all that kind of stuff, so much so that Moses was spending tons of his time and energy just dealing with that stuff, just being sort of a parent to these kids. Uh, and he ended up having to establish an entire team of people to deal with that conflict stuff. <laughs> That's the solution that he had to come up with there, so that he had time to think about what God wanted him to do, time to lead the people in a direction instead of just being a one-man customer support team. So let's try to put ourselves in the story here where we're at, where uh, we've just made it through a bunch of stuff. We're, uh, imagine for a second that you are one of the Israelites um, and you've been in the desert for a while. It's taking a toll on you. Uh, being a nomad in general is tough, let alone in the desert. You've had to pack and unpack your belongings countless times. Sand is all up in everything. Uh, you don't smell your best, but at least no one around you smells any better, so that's good. Um, your family's asking you questions all the time that you don't have the answers to, like, are we there yet? Who do you like more, Aaron or Moses? Do you think any of the songs that we've been singing uh, while we've been on our journey will end up in any animated movies someday? Just normal questions like that that you just don't have the answers to. You're walking with your people. The sun's starting to sink and decrease in intensity a little bit. The wind's flicking sand at your ankles and calves, and some grains join the many other grains in your sandals and between your toes. You've had a lot of time to think on this journey, for better or for worse. You're weighing your freedom. Does this feel like freedom yet? Has it really been worth the trouble? But at the same time, you're reminded of how horrible Pharaoh was and the fear that you and your community and your family felt constantly. You're reminded of the miraculous things you've seen. Surely Yahweh was the one that spared us during the Passover, right? And surely he was the one who parted the waters and he's guiding us with this cloud that's floating in front of us. But where to? Are we really going to make it to the land we've heard about all our lives? Now imagine being Moses, and put yourself in his shoes for a moment. After so many rounds of talks and plagues, Pharaoh finally let us go, but then changes his mind and chases us. Are you kidding me? A nice casual stroll out of Egypt would have been nice, but no, we're fleeing for our lives. But thankfully, God's guiding us. At the perfect time, he provided a miraculous way across the sea to escape the Egyptian army. It was incredible. We sang praises and thanksgiving songs to Yahweh. He freed us and saved our lives immediately. I breathed a sigh of relief, looking forward to what I thought would be a less eventful journey ahead, and then the grumbling started. First about water, then food, then wishing for returning to Egypt, or maybe even wishing for death. Some people have said stuff like that. But then God provided water and food, so maybe that'll be the end of the grumbling. But then it continued, and conflicts arose about everything you could imagine. Lord, what am I going to do with these people? Is this what I'm supposed to do now and just mediate between their conflicts from sunrise to sunset? How can I unite them? How can I lead them? How can I help them love you? So that's where we're at in the story. Hopefully you've, that helped you get a little bit in the zone there. How much would someone have to pay you to trade spots with Moses right now? <laughs> Quite a bit, right? Maybe just not even worth the money. And I know what you're thinking, isn't this supposed to be good news? Like, so far, none of this sounds like good news, right? Um, we'll get there, but it gets worse first, so, okay. Um, so in chapter 19, the Israelites arrive at Sinai. 
and Moses takes the opportunity to go up on the mountain for some much-needed time with God, or maybe just much-needed time away from the people. Who knows? Um, so let's pick it up there at the beginning of chapter 19, if you want to follow along. I'm going to read this, this section in verse 3. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own possession out of all peoples, although the whole earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words you're to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. So God reminds them of what he's done for them and the promises he's made to their ancestors and that he is keeping them. And the people respond positively, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. No ambiguity there. They're not really leaving much wiggle room for themselves. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses goes and he speaks with the Lord again and receives the first section of commandments from him, the Ten Commandments. Um, there's a lot of other commands and instructions that God gives, but we all know those or are familiar with them. So this is a really big deal because this is a notable time where God himself is giving clear directives um, to the people about how to live, how to follow God. So you probably already know these commandments for the most part, and if you don't, you can read them for yourself because we need to kind of move. But I'm just going to read the first two because they're going to matter for foreshadowing reasons. Um, so then God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. And the rest of the commandments follow. There's a lot more there. So Moses gets those. He comes back down and shares these commands um, with the Israelites. And then scripture says, All the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain, surrounded by smoke, this cloud that God is in. When the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. You speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses responded to the people, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. So set the scene for yourself again in your mind. The dusty desert, the looming mountain, the mysterious cloud that's enveloping the peak, the thunder... Moses enters that cloud. And God shares about 10 chapters worth of laws and instructions all about how to live, how to sacrifice, how to atone for sins. I know it's hard to believe, but that stuff is a really big deal. There's two simple ways to explain the needs that these instructions fill. Firstly, instructions about sacrifice provide a way for people to get back into right relationship with God, have their sins forgiven. After the fall, human sin separated them from God. So here God's providing a way for them to atone for their sins and be forgiven. So that's the first thing. 
to be in right relationship with God. And the second purpose of many of these instructions is to set them apart from other nations around them. They will be God's own people, marked by him, honoring him, marked by righteousness, by how they treat each other, not lying or stealing, by protecting vulnerable people. A lot of very specific stuff that God wants to set them apart from other nations. Okay, so what are the two ways? What are the two main things, two purposes for the instructions? Nice. That's cool. Set them apart. To bring them into right relationship with God and then also to set them apart in the nations. Uh, you guys can thank Sterling and Clarissa later. They saved y'all's skin. Um, so Moses is up on the mountain with God receiving these instructions, and he's up there for a while. The people below are getting antsy. Now you can put yourself in their shoes if you want to. They're hearing thunder. They're seeing the dark, mysterious cloud. The longer Moses is gone, the more worried they're getting. So they decide to do what any of us would do in this situation and make an idol. <laughs> Uh, so everyone, it seems that everyone gets in on this, even Aaron, the priest, Moses' brother. They get their gold together, and they make a golden calf to worship. And they even go as far as to say, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So yes, your first instinct in reading this, whether you've heard the story before or not, is right. This is incredibly stupid. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's, the, that's the right way to read it. And just as much of a short-term memory loss, kind of like whiplash as it seems, um, it's really like that. But don't be too hasty to look down on the Israelites here, because I think, um, yes, it's super wrong. Yes, it's obviously not the right thing to do. But it, I think many of us, if we were in this time and place, would get caught up in a lot of the same stuff. Um, I'll try to apply this more clearly to us later. But um, idol worship was incredibly common in like all people groups in this region in this time of time period, but people worshipped different idols to appease different gods in order to hopefully get different things that they wanted. It was ultimately a system of trying to get what people wanted, not about living a life for the sake of a god or gods as much. Do you see that difference there? In idol worship, it's us trying to decide to get what we want, whereas following Yahweh was very different in that it was about him knowing what's best, him uh, doing his thing, and us trying to learn what is best from him. He wants to bless all nations through this, through this nation. Uh, so we're seeking to want to know what he wants and live our lives according to what he, his ways. There's a really strong difference there. So the Israelites are probably thinking something like, wow, following Yahweh is really different. He's mysterious. He's scary to us. He's beyond us. It takes a lot of effort and trust to follow him. Wouldn't it be easier to just worship something we can more easily understand? Let's just do what the other nations do. And they'd been around this a lot. They knew, they knew about idol worship. They were very familiar with it. Let's just do what other people do. Wouldn't it be easier? So they do the golden calf thing, and God is not happy, as you would expect. God tells Moses about what's going on because Moses is still up on the mountain receiving these instructions. And now Moses is, understandably, not happy. God says in no ambiguous terms, leave me alone, Moses, so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. And the next few paragraphs are Moses and God dialoguing back and forth about this. Moses is trying to convince God to spare the Israelites. And this has got to be up there, like way up there with the kind of things that confuse us about the Old Testament and make us want to just shut the book and move on because it's a lot to think about. Like Moses and God are arguing about this and how is Moses trying to convince God of this? And that's, I, I realize that that's tough. It's, it's very up there. It's hard to understand. I don't want you to just 
take what I say and call it all good, but I do want to try to give a little bit of, of shine a little bit of light on this. But I think it's good for you to think about it too and try to delve into it yourself and also you know, seek um, different resources and understandings about this. Lean into that confusion. Um, so think about it like this. I mentioned a moment ago that the sacrificial system was given to the Israelites to provide a way for them to be forgiven of their sins and get in right relationship with God. God is literally in the middle of telling Moses instructions literally in the middle of giving the Israelites a way to get right with him. He's actively doing that, giving them a way to be forgiven, giving them a way to know him, to know how to follow him. He's in the middle of doing that when they make the golden calf. It's like such irony. Um, but even more than that, they just also received the Ten Commandments, the first two of which I already read. Don't have any other gods and don't make any idols. So they're not like, oopsie-daisy. It's not like, Oh, man, did we accidentally... Man, we made an idol. Old habits die hard. They'd just been told not to do this. Um, So it's a very extreme thing. I don't think it's an accident kind of deal. It's a very extreme, conscious choice. I think we can interpret it instead of the oopsie-daisy thing. I think it's a much closer thing to say for them to be thinking something like, we don't want you, Yahweh. This is what we want instead. We think we know what's best we want to be in charge. We want to follow something we understand. This is what we'd like. If we think about it like that, I think it changes the way that we read the situation a bit and the way that God's reaction might land on us a little. But there's still plenty to wonder about and explore and from now until eternity, so don't worry. Um, but we're starting to get to the good part of this story, the part that I really wanted to get to, or at least that's been on my mind and I couldn't shake it. So Moses talks through this with God. He's talking about this. He doesn't want to just... Um, keep the Israelites from getting destroyed. Moses' hopes are more than that. He wants them to be forgiven. He wants God to forgive the Israelites for their sin. And at the same time, Moses himself is angry too. He doesn't think this is not a big deal. He lets the Israelites absolutely have it. He smashes the Ten Commandments, which, very bold choice, I must say. I'm not sure I would have done that, but, you know, more power to him. He then makes the people burn up the golden calf and drink the ashes. So, um, that's interesting. I've had coffee that tastes like that before. Um, Starbucks. Uh, interrogates Aaron and makes him look even dumber than he already looked. Um, and you'll just have to read those details for yourself. That's, what, that's Moses' reaction. But then Moses tells the people, you've committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. And Moses and God have another interesting conversation. Here's how it goes. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They've made a a God of gold for themselves. Now if you would only forgive their sin. But if not, please erase me from the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. Now go lead the people to the place I told you about. Please forgive them, but if not, erase me from the book. And God clarifies, but the book is for people who have sinned against me. Being erased from it is for people who have sinned against me. So what is Moses doing here? Is he offering himself instead? That is what it sounds like. Take me instead. Erase me from the book instead and forgive the Israelites. That's what it reads like. And if you, if you, if you go by too quickly, you'll miss that. Please forgive them, but if not, erase me from your book. 
Moses doesn't stop just there. Don't miss this part in chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, look, you've told me lead these people up, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Are you guys tracking kind of like how crazy this situation is? Moses is offering himself instead, and he's really um, imploring God, um, take me instead, but also I want to know you, I want to teach me your ways so I can find favor with you. Um, it continues on. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to, to the Lord, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please, let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. When you see the Lord like that written with the all caps, it's, it's the word Yahweh or the, the letters for Yahweh. Um, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You're to stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take my hand away, and you'll see my back, but my face will not be seen. Isn't this kind of crazy? Um, so let's just, let me just recap real quick. Moses offers himself instead, and God, God kind of doesn't respond directly to that. He says, no, let's, let's move on. Take the people to where I told you to go. And Moses asks, will you go with us? Um, and implores God to, to guide them himself. And then also he says, I want to know your ways. I want to know you deeper. I want to know you more. And I want to see your glory myself. And then in chapter 34, it actually happens. Imagine being Moses having asked this question of God, asked to see his glory. Is this really going to happen? Are you ready for it? It's kind of too late now, I guess. It's sort of the calm before the storm. You're terrified, but also excited, but there's nothing you can do um, to change your mind. The cloud is coming closer. In chapter 34, it says this, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children, grandchildren, and to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. And then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. 
And the Lord responded, look, I'm making a covenant. In the presence of all your people, I will perform wonders that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. Isn't that crazy? What just happened? What did we just read? This is in the Bible? Are you sure? This story has fascinated me ever since I was young. And with each time I've revisited, I feel like I get like a little something new that jumps out to me. Not that I fully understand it, but just something, there's a new dimension or something like that that jumps out to me about it. But God and Moses' relationship here is so striking, isn't it? Um, and Em and I were talking about this story this past week as I was kind of working on this. And I, I grew up on a, in a church and, you know, and sat through hundreds of sermons and all that stuff. And the majority of the time, I didn't have a cell phone, you know. Um, that's kind of how childhood worked for a while. So the best way to pass the time during church was to doodle on paper bulletins. Um, you may have done that yourself. So my friend Houston and I took this very seriously, took our commitment to not pay attention to the sermon very seriously. Uh, we created these characters, these cartoon characters that we were committed to adding a new chapter of their story each week, you know, and, and um, yeah, we were serious about it. So, but despite my best efforts, like many of you, to tune out the sermon, <laughs> just kidding, um, y'all didn't realize I was one of you, did you? Um, <laughs> Anyway, despite my best efforts to tune out the sermon, I distinctly remember hearing this story about Moses some Sunday, probably around seventh grade or something like that. Um, something about it pierced through my commitment to my cartoon craft, and it nagged at me, and it really has ever since. Something about this story has nagged at me. I think, it's, I think it did that because it messed with some expectations I had about God, some presuppositions I had about God, that God was distant um, that he was separate, that he was far. And, but here he draws near to Moses. It broke the way that I thought God was in my early um, kind of childhood understanding. And, and this is not that the only story that does that. It's not the only story in the Old Testament that should do that to you, but it's one of them for me. So I want to just kind of share, I realize there's a ton to like understand and not understand, or at least that I'm not qualified to help you understand. Um, but there's some takeaways I really want to point out from this story now that we've made it to this point. And that's where I'm going to leave us. But the first takeaway I want to share is just that God wants to know us and be known by us. That's really good news. See, we made it to the good news part, right? Good news in the Old Testament. Um, God wants to know us and be known by us. We see that on display here really obviously. He's revealing himself to Moses. He reveals himself to the Israelites often throughout Exodus. Um, through his works, through his words, through his commands, that gets even deeper and more specific in this specific story. The Lord Yahweh, when he, when he passes in front of Moses, he also s- explains himself, t- talks about his character. The Lord Yahweh is a compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This is something about God, this thing about God wanting to be known and to know us doesn't stop here. He gives us a bunch of stories about himself all throughout the Old Testament. Um, He gives us Jesus. He sends himself as a human. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be in each of us. God wants to know us and to be known by us. This is not a one-time thing. But we get to see a really unique situation of it here. Takeaway number two is knowing God well both requires humility and begets humility. Knowing God well both requires humility and begets humility. You see a little bit in the the differences between 
the way, at least in this story, that the Israelites respond, Aaron responds, and the way that Moses responds, how they seem to treat God's words and their relationship with him. Now, Moses is super far from perfect. His biggest mistake is still to come. We haven't seen it at this point in the story, but in this section, we get a picture of the relationship with God that Moses has at this, at this point that we have a lot we can learn from, I think. Uh, after spending time with God, conversing with him, Moses has witnessed his works. He's spoke with him a lot. He's witnessed the deliverance God has made um, out of Egypt. Moses wants to know God more deeply after that. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Moses' pursuit of God has led him deeper and deeper. He sits humbly at God's feet. He climbs a mountain over and over again to seek him and to seek guidance from him. Takeaway number three is God works in slash through us while we're in process without us fully understanding him. Don't worry, that's the longest one. That's really good news, amen? Moses is a great example of this through all of Exodus you know, across like four of the five books of the Torah, and the entire Old Testament is full of situations like this. No one fully understands God. God's working through them. We are examples of this also. We're walking proof of it. God works through us and in us in our imperfection, in our lack of understanding, um, in our humility. He works in us and through us while we're in process. Takeaway number four is that this story is almost a perfect self-contained gospel. You may have picked up on this already. This story is almost a perfect self-contained gospel. Think about it. Humans think they know best. They choose to rebel against God. They want to go their own way. They want to be in charge of themselves. They want to make their own gods, their own decisions. Someone intercedes for them and even offers to die in their place. God ultimately provides a way for forgiveness and renews covenant with them. Now, the biggest difference here, of course, in the larger gospel story and the way that Jesus actually fulfills that is that Moses himself is too human, too sinful, too imperfect. Um, And even though he didn't take part in the idol-making situation there, he couldn't actually be the flawless atoning sacrifice for the Israelites that Jesus would eventually end up being for the Israelites and for us too. But the foreshadowing is there if you're willing to believe it, if you're willing to see it. This, this self-contained sort of foreshadowing of what would need to happen in the future to really save everyone. Yeah. A flawless, atoning sacrifice would be needed for the world. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of crazy, huh? Yeah. The last takeaway I have for you guys, takeaway number five, is just that God saves them and us, not because they are good, but because he is good. God saves them not because they are good, but because he is good. God didn't deliver them from Egypt because they earned it. We're simply told they cried out to the Lord and he heard their cry. God definitely didn't forgive them for the idol making because of something they earned or did. Sounds like Moses is the sorriest of everyone. He didn't even do anything wrong in that situation. In fact, he spared them from something they deserved. He spared them from the consequences of a decision they made consciously. They chose not God. They chose to do their own thing. And ultimately, God spares them from a a consequence they deserved and chose. This is true for us, too. He saves us because he is good, not because we do anything. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He is the one that is good. 
Um, so how do you come up with some homework for this? What do we do? How do we understand this story better? Um, I don't have a slide for this, but maybe I'll post it later on Mighty Networks. Also, shout out Nate, posting your stuff earlier this week. Mm. That was great. If you missed that, go check it out. Nate was just, I don't know, doing the homework that Leslie assigned and sharing it with the rest of us. She got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to copy off of you, actually, by the way. So if you want to send it to me before you post, that would be great. Um, so first bit of homework, just trying to understand the story that I've forced us to kind of think about that maybe, who knows how much of an exodus you've spent time in, how much you understood, how much you thought about this, maybe it was really confusing. I want to really recommend to you to, to watch the Bible Project videos about exodus. It really helps give a bird's eye view of this story. Uh, it's, it's a little long, but it's a video, so you know how we are with that kind of stuff. You know, if something's long, but it's video, we like. Long, but not video, we do not like. If it's reading, we do not like. Video, we like. So, this, this story we talked about here is, a sec, is in the second video of Exodus, but I would recommend watching the whole thing. It just gives you this bird's eye view of this story of Exodus, um, and I think it'll help maybe fill in some gaps that I uh, had and fix things I broke or whatever. Um, and then I want to recommend to you to read Exodus 32 through 34 this week at a minimum, at a minimum. But if you're feeling even a little bit inspired, just a little, you're like, I kind of I want to take this story out again. Why not read the whole thing? Read all of Exodus. It's really, it seems like a long book, but it's really not that bad if you break it up. You can read it in a week, easy. Uh, it's really not bad. It'll be way more rewarding than just reading a little piece of it. But I just want to encourage you to get in there in some capacity. So if that's overwhelming to you, just read chapters 32 to 34. Try and, and if you're, if you're really not looking forward to this or whatever, try engaging with Scripture in a new way. Uh, try going on a walk and listening to it. Um, that is very underrated. Try reading out loud with a friend or something like that. Very underrated. Um, and as you read, however much you end up deciding to read, take your journal or open a note on your phone or something like that and just jot down the things that are good news that jump out to you. They're good news about this story. Keep your eyes open for good news about God. Write down little snippets of things you learn about God, about his character. But also write down questions you have. Things that don't totally make sense. Things that are confusing or maybe even a little unsettling. Ask somebody about them. Talk to a friend. Talk to one of us. Talk to a leader. Have convos about it. Why not? Um, don't let it just be a passing confusion that you, you push away. Here's an alternate homework. If while I've been talking, you've been thinking, I'm not doing that. Nope. From the first word, I'm not doing it. I'm definitely not doing it. Alternate homework, okay? If you have a story from the Bible like this one for me that has nagged you, okay? It's kind of nagged at you a bit. You heard it when you were a kid. You've heard it paraphrased or something, whatever it is that's nagged at you. Go and read it and dig into it. Don't ignore that nagging. Go and read it. Dig into it. Look up some resources about it, a video, an article, something to help grow your knowledge about it. But it's nagging at you for a reason. Follow your own curiosity, even if you don't want to follow my curiosity, okay? Let's pray. God, you are good. You're holy. You're powerful over everything. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for being merciful to us. Lord, put in us a hunger to seek you, to pursue you, that we might know you, we might know your ways. 
God, I pray that we would find favor with you. That you would want to bless other people through us. We want to know you. We want to know you deeply. Lord, show us your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.